gracious God, this morning help us to still our minds and still our hearts, still our souls, so we hear your word clearly, so that it works in us, and so that we are filled with your love and your grace, your mercy and your promises. This I pray this morning. Amen. If life were a Hallmark movie, there would be no need for Christmas. In Hallmark movies, the plot almost is always the same, and it turns out, doesn't it? The people who are meek and mild become bolder and more courageous. Those who are hard-hearted become their hearts start to soften and melt. And through everybody, everybody's work and effort, things work out in the end, don't they? That's a Hallmark movie. However, I've noticed that Hallmark movies and life are very, very different. As much as we work, as much as we try, uh, a lot of times there aren't happy endings, are there? Sometimes it is very difficult. And you know what? For the vast majority of time, we can't work it out. And this is exactly why Christ was promised, and this is exactly why Christ came. Because we can't work certain things out. And so you and I have to look to the promises that are enduring. Promises that just aren't turned off after the Hallmark movie is over, but promises from God that are enduring. And so this Advent season, we are looking at the promises. We are looking at the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Promises that were foretold, fulfilled, and made complete in Christ Jesus. And so last week we took a look at the promise of righteousness. Not our righteousness that we receive, but the righteousness that we are given from Jesus. That's the righteousness. Now this week we're going to take a look at some promises as foretold by the prophet Malachi. All right, Malachi. A lot of people don't necessarily know about Malachi. He was a prophet and lived about 400 years before the time of Christ Jesus. His book is the very last book in the Old Testament. And you go from Malachi to Matthew. So, but there's a 400-year gap in there. Now, during the time of Malachi, the Israelites had returned from exile. They were back about 100 years, which would be good news because now they were home, and their enthusiasm in the beginning was good, but it faded off pretty darn fast. So they started to, rather than uh, build houses of worship, they built beautiful homes. They broke the Sabbath, they lied, they cheated, they embezzled funds, they intermarried with heathen, heathen. And to make it worse, the Levitical priests were doing the same thing. But more than anything, the people were calling evil good and saying that the Lord delights in that evil. 
Now, you and I might think that, oh, well, we've progressed so much in our morality since then, but the truth is, no. That whole list of things that I just mentioned that they were doing, we do today as a culture. And we are, many people in our culture are now calling evil good. And even Hallmark has now gone by the wayside. And they are promoting what the Lord has said is sin. Okay, that's the situation, that's the context. And in the midst of that, the Lord God could have said, well, you're out of luck. But our God is a God of promise, a God who does not change. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at his covenantal promise. Promise of purity, of justice, and salvation. So let us begin with the covenantal promise. And by the way, if you're visiting, we do have uh, sermon notes. And if you didn't get some, raise your hand and we'll make sure you get some. A covenantal promise. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, you and I are very familiar with this first phrase, right? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Who does this refer to? John the Baptist, right? We hear this each and every year, each and every Advent season. John the Baptist. This is he of whom it is written, not only Isaiah, but also in Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So in the days of old, a messenger would actually go before the king and literally level the road, right? The potholes in here. But John the Baptist was not part of the Department of Transportation. He did not go ahead and fill in the potholes. How did he prepare the way for people? What did he preach? He preached repentance. That's what he repeated. That, that's what he preached. Repentance. It is the spiritual preparation in receiving the Lord. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, and then 11 and 12 from our reading today, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat in the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, admittedly, right? When you think Advent, does John the Baptist come into your mind right away? I mean, he's not this warm, fuzzy guy, is he? But did you know that traditionally, historically, the season of Advent is a season of what? It's a repentance. It's a season of repentance. Advent is traditionally a time of repentance. And that's how we prepare ourselves spiritually. And I'd like you to consider this too. Repentance and humility go hand in hand, don't they? Repentance and humility go hand in hand. 
You really can't have repentance without humility. And so we often have small hills, sometimes big hills, sometimes mountains of pride that need to be made straight. And the only way they can really be made straight is through repentance, through humility. And so that's the season. You see, humility and repentance puts us on our knees before the Lord, and we seek his forgiveness, and we receive his grace, right? Every time there's absolution that we give when we confess our sins, declaring the absolution, you are forgiven. You are that new creation in Christ Jesus. You know, I was listening to a pastor. I don't know if how many of you might know uh, Paul Washer, but he is a pastor, very powerful, passionate pastor. And I was listening to a talk that he gave to a room full of other pastors. And he was saying, you know, the pastors, the men of God who we considered great in their faith were great men of prayer because they knew they could not do it by themselves. That the task at hand was so great that they could not do it. And so these great men of faith that we would say were the ones who were humbled and who were on their knees before the Lord. I would tell you that we don't need more great men or even great women. We need men and women who will get down on their knees and pray before our God who is great. That's the spirit of Advent. So let's continue on here. It says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, rarely when it's in Scripture, when it says, and something will suddenly happen, it's not like, oh, that's nice news, right? Suddenly declares something that will take you aback. And so there's a messenger of the covenant who's going to appear. But is this John the Baptist that it's referring to? And I don't think it's John the Baptist it's referring to. I think there's another messenger now that is being spoken of here. And this other messenger, we have some clues of who this is. First of all, it says the Lord whom you seek. Well, Malachi certainly wouldn't apply the Lord to Elijah and certainly wasn't applied to John the Baptist, was it? Wasn't, wasn't replied, uh, referred to that way. And it says the temple belongs to him. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Well, John the Baptist certainly wasn't coming into his temple, nor Elijah into his temple. It is the Lord God who owns the temple, who comes into his own temple. And now it also says, the message of the covenant in whom you delight. Now, granted, many people from the Jordan region came to John the Baptist, right? But you don't think of them delighting in his message. But now, and he talked about there was somebody coming who was greater than I. Well, who would come that is greater than him? This is Christ Jesus, who is the messenger of 
the covenant and the new covenant, the one that we celebrate in our sacrament of the Lord's Supper each and every week. This is the new covenant in my blood. So Christ Jesus is the covenant and the covenant is good news and that's what gospel means, good news. And we delight in him and the good news. So the messenger who comes into his temple is Christ Jesus. He's the, he is the messenger of the covenant. And he comes, his second coming especially, will be very different than what people imagine. Because he comes to purify. And so let's go into this covenantal promise of purity. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So there are two metaphors that are used here, right? Refiner's fire and fuller soap. We're going to deal with fuller soap first. But first I have a confession. I have a wonderful ability to take dress clothes and to magically change them into work clothes. I do. Heidi will attest to this. And now, how does that happen? Well, it happens often with projects that I'm doing. It happens with cooking that I do. And it always starts off with the best intentions. You know what? And the words are, I'll be careful. Let me give you a real life example. So the two crosses that we have out on the pillars there, I've stained all the crosses. And by the way, the third cross should, if everything goes well, should be going up this week. Yay, right? But so I stained the crosses and I wanted to get it done. It was towards the end of the day and kind of closing up. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I, I, I had my casual dress, but still dress clothes on, right? And I thought, I'll be careful. And so I hear him with the stain and I got the brush and I'm, I'm kind of going like this, right? And I think, ha, done, looks great. Everything's cleaned up. I got in the car and lo and behold, what did I see? Stain on my shirt. It had splattered. I'm like, all right. Well, thankfully it wasn't one of my favorite shirts anyway. So, the... But I mean, it does the same thing with cooking. I'll be careful. And I like to cook and sauces. And, you know, with tomato sauce, you got to have some oil in it, too, to get that flavor. And Heidi, thankfully, has put up with me for 30 years on this. And she's really good about getting most stains out. But some stains are permanent, aren't they? And no matter how hard you scrub, they don't come out, which leads us to fuller soap. Now, fuller soap. Back in the old days, before the Industrial Revolution, you would have people who were called fullers who would take the fabric and they would cleanse them, removing oil, removing stains, they, any impurities, and also to make it thicker. And I'm not sure exactly if that's where the name fuller came from, but it would be thicker. So the person who was the fuller making it thick, would take something called fuller's soap, which is very caustic. 
It's like a bleach or a lye. And they would work that through all of the fabric to make it pure and clean. Now, the reason the metaphor of fuller soap is used is because there are some things that can only be cleaned with something that is so strong. We ourselves can't do it. As a matter of fact, as much as we try, even with our, our fuller soap, it doesn't work. For example, from Jeremiah chapter 2, though you want, this is God speaking, though you wash yourselves with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. You see, there are a lot of people who walk around trying to cleanse themselves by doing all sorts of good deeds and good works, and no matter how much they carry that burden of sin upon themselves, and they cannot cleanse themselves, no matter how much they try. And the Lord God sees this. So like David, we cry out. And this was from our confession of sin this morning, right? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And now this is what asking God to do what only God can do. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Why was Christ promised? Why did Christ come? He came to cleanse those who can't do it themselves. There's a forgiveness of sin that is available only through Christ Jesus. That's good news. A forgiveness of sin available through him. And now he also sanctifies us. Sanctifying us is not a process of making us a better person, although the world would say, if you are actually acting like a Christian, they would say you are a better person, but it is to make us into the image of Christ Jesus. And that only happens through the cross and through his blood. You've, taught, you've heard about being washed clean by the blood of the lamb, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they, be are, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. These are sweet words. But he does remember lie soap or fuller soap is caustic. There is a cleansing effect, which actually leads us into this second metaphor of purification, the refiner's fire. So I mentioned this in Bible study several times, but you might not heard of, heard of this, the refiner's fire. Uh, they still do it today, but certainly back in that day, they would have a cauldron, and they had to get it burning hot, Right? And they would pour all of the metal in there. And the metal would contain impurities as well. So it would get so hot that the impurities or the dross would have to be skimmed off the top. It'd have to be, in essence, burned off. Now, refiner's fire can be a symbol, a metaphor for judgment. Complete judgment. 
As a matter of fact, I've got two scripture readings up there, but the first is from Ezekiel chapter 22. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. As one who gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it and in order to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my wrath, I will put you in and melt you. This is a severe judgment, right? Against Israel because of all the impurities that are there. So there's definitely a judgment, and it does say fire, right? And fire does burn, but it does not burn like a forest fire. It, burn, it does not burn indiscriminately. It burns with a purpose. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, who know God, it purifies you. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one who refines silver and tests them as gold is tested. They will call my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. So for those who aren't of God, who reject God, there is a burning up. But for those who are of God, there's a testing, there's a trial, there are tribulations, there's a fire sometimes that you have to go through so that the impurities in your life are burned away. The dross is set aside. How do you know what happens when you have been sanctified by this fire? In the days of old and even today, silversmiths, when they were at the cauldron, they would skim off the dross. And do you remember how they could tell when it was finally pure? Do you remember? They could see their reflection in the silver. That's how you knew it was pure. As Christ Jesus purifies us, people don't see us. They see more and more the reflection of Jesus. That is the process of being purified in Christ Jesus. And it is a promise, by the way. When Jesus purifies you, what will be reflected to others is not your image, but the very image of Christ Jesus. And you know this. There are people in your life that you've met, you go, wow, I see God in them. I see Jesus in them. That is what Jesus will do for us. So there's a promise of purity, but there's also a promise of justice. By the way, there are some people who say God will not judge anyone. That God is not a God of wrath and that we've simply made that up. Well, let's just read scripture. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. It's quite the list, isn't it? Sorcerers, those who practice magic. I'm not talking about entertainers who are magicians. I'm talking about those who actually practice magic. And by the way, there is no such thing 
as white magic or good magic. All of that is not from God, and thus it is evil in his eyes. So don't be fooled by that. Remember, uh, I think a year ago I said, there are people now who say they are Christian witches. No, that is evil in the sight of the Lord. Adultery, there's another thing on there. Adultery, that's not seen as a trifling thing, is it? And also, there is the uh, swearing falsely or perjury. And by the way, adultery, perjury, those are covered in the Ten Commandments. God made that pretty darn clear, didn't he? But then there's also the cheating of workers at a fair wage. That'll bring the judgment of the Lord upon you. And that's a sin of selfishness, of not caring for those who are in need, of not caring for those who are the sojourners, the travelers, but also the widows, the fatherless, the orphans. God says, I'm going to bring my judgment against those people. You see, the Lord God will bring justice to an unjust world. And his justice is always against sin. There are many people in the world today talking about social justice and other types of justice. And you know what? There is much difference and inequality and how people are treated. But they miss the point. The point is sin. And God will bring his judgment against that sin. And do you know what the wellspring of all of that is? The wellspring of all of that sin is there's no fear of the Lord. See, the world right now wants to talk about justice, but not fear of the Lord. They want to separate those two. And they certainly don't want to call sin. And they also want justice for other people, but not themselves. Because other people are doing bad stuff, but not them. And somehow we exclude ourselves from the justice of God. We want mercy, everybody else should get justice. Vadi Bakum, who is a really great preacher and teacher, he said this, it amazes me that we believe this, that God would kill and crush his own son, but let you slide. Not for a minute. The spotless, sinless Lamb of God suffered and bled and died because of the wrath of God. The propitiation, the satisfaction of the righteous wrath of God, that's what was experienced on the cross. How dare we take that lightly? That's the one against whom you have sinned. Let me put it another way for you. When we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of Almighty, those are not hollow words. They are hallowed words. They speak of God's utmost purity, his utmost righteousness, his utmost justice. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thus, there is a promise of purity. There is also a promise of justice. Now, if you were standing before the Lord God, when he comes suddenly, the messenger of the covenant comes suddenly in the throne, the question was in verse 2, who could stand before him? Who could bear to be in his presence? And the answer is answered in this next verse. Because now, 
we have the sweet promise of salvation. And the promise is this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, you should, you should take these in as balm for your soul, as comfort, as sweetness. The Lord God does not change. You and I change a lot. And our promises kind of ebb and flow throughout our lives. But God has promised salvation, redemption. He gave that promise in the Garden of Eden. He gave that particular promise throughout the Old Testament. It was foretold. It was fulfilled. It was made complete in Christ Jesus. And that's what we have. During this Advent season, this is the joy. This is the peace. This is the comfort that we have. In Advent, the promise of salvation is foretold, fulfilled, made complete in Christ Jesus. Who can stand before him? Well, the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to the promises that are made. Now, there's a, a lot of them I could give, but I've given you three verses or three references here. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then in Luke chapter 2, Simeon, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people. We have that sure promise foretold by the prophets, fulfilled in Christ Jesus, made complete. He will come, he has come, he will come again. The unchanging word of God, and therefore you who are in Christ Jesus are not consumed. This is good news. So, you've heard the word. Make sure you apply the word. Grow in Christ Jesus. As you think about this Advent season, what areas of pride need to be leveled by humility and repentance? I got to tell you, <laughs> this sermon worked on me all week. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I got to work. I got to do the same work. How has God been testing you, refining you, purifying you? Again, this sermon's been working on me all week. Read the first two chapters of Luke and recall the promise of salvation from our unchanging God. And all the people said, Amen.